my word of the year is remember. I think the Lord just continues to draw me near to him and to say, you know, remember that I was faithful then. That's just the kind of God I am. The more I'm able to surrender that, and like you said, surrender the control, the more I can really find peace and hope and joy in what life is right now. We're called to so much more, and we know that there is hope in the midst of this. So I think it's just clinging to that. Welcome back to the Radiant Podcast, y'all, and I am so excited to have you back at it with me. Our first guest in this new iteration of the Radiant Podcast is my girl, Laura Lee Turner. She is known for her iconic role as Karen in Mean Girls on Broadway, and this year we've had the privilege of getting to know each other working alongside each other at some events and collaborating together. She is also the host of the Living in the Light podcast, and I just can't get enough, y'all. I am so excited for you guys to get to know Laura Lee today, to hear her story, and to hear what she has to say on perseverance, on her choice to keep going when it got hard. So for all you dreamers out there who are in the middle of a rough season, or just know it's going to take a lot of grit and determination to get to where you want, this episode is for you. Lee, I'm so excited to have you here. You are a fellow Southern girl, and we became fast friends via Instagram this summer, and I'm so glad the internet brought us together as I've gotten to listen to your show, as we've gotten to collaborate on projects together. I've really learned about your story and loved your story, and I think it's going to be such a powerful reminder to keep going to our Radiant listeners today. So I'm so excited to have you on. I'd love for you to start by digging into who you are and how you got to where you are today. Mm, Hi, Kelsey. It's just such an honor to be on your show today. Uh, Yeah, a little bit about me. I'm from Little Rock, Arkansas. I'm the youngest of three girls. And yeah, growing up, faith and family was just such a big part of my life. Um, I don't remember a time that I didn't know the Lord and wasn't being just raised in this community. I'm from a smaller town. It's definitely a community where you go to a grocery store or a restaurant and you see someone that you know. And that was such a sweet part of my story growing up. But I think there was always something inside of me that looked for dreaming big. And I had a lot of goals and aspirations and I'm an Enneagram one. I've never been afraid to just put my mind to something and work hard and go after it. And it was around middle school. I was really into school. I liked the idea of working really hard, making a really good grade and gaining knowledge. And I don't know, I I liked working hard at school. Uh, So I kind of thought for a while that I would go into medicine. I thought I might become a doctor. And then the theater really changed my life uh, in middle school. I struggled with friendships a lot, struggled finding kind of my place in middle school thinking, you know, am I a cheerleader? Am I an athlete? And what, what, where, you know, we all struggle with that. And totally like, what, what is my place? And, um, God's like, my place is right with me, but you know, we have these specific gifts that just make us who we are. And it was in that time when I found the theater, I just found people who were so, fun and loved telling stories like how how much more fun does it get and and so I started getting involved in in the plays and in the musicals in middle school and high school and 
all the while um, was just really growing in my faith. I would go to the Christian summer camp, Canacuck, and uh, just the Lord was just drawing me near and near to him through that time. And around my 10th grade year, I was cast as the lead in the high school musical. And it's funny because I look back and people are like, is there a time that you remembered that you can remember that was like the moment where you thought I'm going to do that when I grow up. And when I was in fourth grade, I was sitting in the audience at the musical and it was Peter Pan. I was sitting next to my teacher and I just see this girl that's in high school, like flying across the stage and just think, I, and I think I said it to my teacher, I want to do that when I am in high school. And so I think it started then just really digging into loving singing and loving dancing and loving, um, just telling stories. And it all really came together in high school when, uh, I got that dream came true. I got to be the lead in the high school musical. And that was, you know, s- such a big deal for me in 10th grade. And, uh, I had a, a drama professor professor it wasn't college. It was high school. <laughs> it was a teacher. And he just kind of sat down with me and he said, he, as good mentors do, uh, pulled out the potential that he saw in me. And he said, you know, Larley, I see a lot in you with this career in the performing arts. And I'm like, I'm in 10th grade, <laughs> a career. And he, and he was like, you know, I think if you keep honing these skills and keep working hard at this, that maybe one day you could do this, um, post high school. And I was like, huh? Uh, okay. Like that sounds really fun to be able to pursue musical theater as my career. But, you know, I'd grown up in a place where, um, it's not a bad thing, but all my family had gone to the same small private liberal, liberal arts college. And it took a lot of thinking outside the box to think, you know, my life may not look the same as theirs did. So it's going to take some reimagining to think, how can I pursue after this dream? And, and really chase it. And luckily the Lord really took me one step at a time and brought the right people in my life at the right time. And I got involved with some uh, coaches in New York city that were pouring into me through zoom. And it was a journey of auditioning for a lot of different college programs to figure out where I would land. Um, And I decided on Oklahoma city university. So I went to um, high school in Oklahoma City, and it was a really great step for me because New York City is a, I was looking at some schools up in the east, on the east coast, and I don't think that would have been right yet because I was so home connected that I needed a step in between going that far away. And so it was great to be able to go to a school that was still in the Midwest and um, I could drive home on a weekend if I really wanted to. And the school itself was a really, a really great music training. And I got good dance training and acting. And I just felt like by the end of college, I was so prepared technically. And they gave me a great foundation to be able to go and pursue the dream of um, being on Broadway and moving to New York City and pursuing a career in the performing arts. Um, I will say it's, It's a really hard thing to pursue because the odds are really against you. There are, I think I've heard a statistic, maybe this is wrong, but it sounds right to me that there are over 55,000 unemployed actors and actresses in New York City. Wow. Which is just wild. Oh my Um, gosh. So you're moving to a city post-college as a 21, 22-year-old thinking, okay, well, I'm at the bottom of the totem pole. And if this number is right, let's just pray and hope that the Lord guides and 
provides employment at some point that I will get to do this. But, you know, I think what I learned in college was that if you really love something and your, you, your heart and your mind is committed to going after it, there's just nothing stopping you. It's one thing to have all the training, but if you don't have the drive to be able to wake up every day and say, okay, um, I'm going to have to put in the work and I might not see fruit of this work today and no one may be holding me accountable, but it's important. And I believe in it and God's put it on my heart to do it. So I'm, I'm not going to feel satisfied unless I'm walking in what he's called me to do. Man, I mean, I, I'm just going to pause right there because you dropped so many nuggets. I was taking notes. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to get to your story on Broadway because I think that's really powerful as well. But up until this point, your story of putting in the hard work has been just it's warmed my heart because I think so many listeners just need the reminder to keep going. And it's really hard when it comes to pursuing your dreams and it doesn't happen overnight. But one thing you said is sometimes there's like an interim step. You know, you didn't go straight from Little Rock to New York City. You went to Oklahoma City first and you were kind of tucked away in this environment, really sharpening and honing your skill. And I feel like for me, God took me to Colorado to tuck me away. You know, I had all these friends, you know, in my community, in my hometown outside of Nashville, all my friends moved to Nashville. So have a ton of friends I'll be going back home to, but I feel like God brought me out to Colorado to really tuck me away and polish me and sharpen me up for my future. And sometimes when you're right in the middle of it, you're like, when am I going to get to step into the big dream? Like I'm ready for the big dream. Can we just skip this part? But I would love for you to kind of talk a little bit about the middle part, because I think that's something we all would prefer to skip over, but I think it's key to your success down the road. And so were there parts in the middle? I mean, it's also a college experience, so it's probably really fun, but were there parts sometimes where you just wanted to skip ahead and go ahead and get to New York city? Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. And I truly, I believe that this life, especially as a follower of Christ is just one um, obscure wilderness season after another. If you're, (laughs) if you're on a mountaintop, it's like, okay, well, there's going to be another Valley where he's just going to go in there and prepare us for whatever he has next. And I, I know I'll have a lot of those again, but um, college was definitely a season of obscurity for me. Um, it was a sweet time. It was a time of really learning what community looked like for the first time. I didn't have great friendships in high school. My family is so dear to me and they were really my community here. And then going to college in a place that no one, like my family hadn't gone there before. I had no connections to anybody. And that was so freeing to me to think no one knows me. I'm, I'm my own person in this place, but I learned a lot about community and just the importance of bringing people around you that are cheering you on and, and with you in those obscure seasons. Um, But it was also a time of, I wasn't, you know, I said I was the lead in 10th grade in my high school musical and I had a lot of success in theater in high school. And I think a lot of that was just so that I would say yes to pursuing the, the calling. Um, but then once I was in college, it, that was not it at all. And I didn't 
see a lot of success by means of whatever the college bar is for success. I just was, I was in the ensemble in a couple of shows, but most, most of my time there, I wasn't really cast in shows and in the acting world, it's like, well, I'm putting in all this work, but I'm not getting to like use it. You know, like you were Mm -hmm. saying, being in a place where you're not using it, but you're developing it. And so, um, yeah, but it was, it was a really vital season because it did, like I said earlier, set the foundation for what would be the start of my career, an opportunity that I was prepared for that I needed to be prepared for. Um, and, and just taught me a lot about discipline, a lot about, do you truly love this or do you love being in the spotlight? Do you truly love the discipline of putting your head down and doing this work as an artist every single day? Or do you love just when the costume and makeup's on and when the orchestra um, gears up at the beginning of a show and like all of those things are great, but that's just the sprinkle on the cupcake. Mm -hmm. And that's how much, like how much time in my career is actually going to spit in that, be spent in that moment. You know, the rest of it is going to be that work. Yeah. Um, so it was, it taught me to love the work. Uh, one of the deans in our like beginning of the year assemblies, one year he gave this speech that he, like his tagline to it was, it's about the work. And that really stuck with me because it it is about the work and what we put in. I mean, this is a parallel to, to our walk as followers of Christ too, that like what we sow, we reap. Yep. You know, the seeds we sow, we see a harvest on the other side of it. So I think those times of really sowing are are vital to that harvest that comes. I am 100% with you. And I think I love speaking to dreamers and I love helping them turn their dreams into a reality. But one of the most underrated conversations is the work that it takes to get there. Um, And it's not always sustainable to work at the same pace down the road as you started with the beginning. Like, I think the beginning requires some hustle to like get your dream off the ground. That's a conversation in itself. I've been learning a lot about that recently because I just started a podcast and for a couple of months, it was a lot of, it was a lot more work than I even anticipated. But now I feel like the Lord is calling me back to a slower pace and saying, okay, you don't have to stay at that pace. We needed it for a couple months to like get this going, but now you can slow down a little bit and kind of reap the harvest and, and actually enjoy what, you know, what I've laid out for you to do. So I, yeah, that is something I am actively learning in this season because I grinded, grounded out, whatever, um, over the last few years of just getting these dreams off the ground. And I love the phrase, like there's a season for running and a season for resting. And it's been a running season. And I really feel like God's calling me into rest and to trusting that those dreams will still move forward as I rest. Yeah. Uh, Because sometimes like there is a reward for hard work, like your dreams go further and then you have to learn to settle into a new rhythm. So that's currently what I'm learning is how to rest while pursuing my dreams when work is actually easier for me than rest. I love hard work. Isn't that crazy? It is. 
it's easier to control it and to just want to to keep grinding and God's like no remember I'm the one doing all the work (laughs) seriously it is easy yes it's you get a fix from completing a task on your to-do list that does not come from resting like the reward of rest is more like long-term soul care. (laughs) And so it's been a big season Mm -hmm. of learning that for me. Okay. So, you know, back to kind of your journey, you're tucked away in Oklahoma city. Then you graduate. What's next? Next. I moved to New York city. Yeah. Last May I graduated from college and then I moved to New York in August and through my college, I got to be in this well, we call it a showcase where we go to New York and we perform for agents. And then the hope is that you sign with an agent and you move to New York City with someone who is advocating on your behalf to get you in audition rooms and audition um, for casting directors. And that's kind of, they're kind of the gatekeepers to jobs in New York City. So I was lucky. Um, I feel blessed to have had signed with an agent through the showcase. And then I moved to New York city with, yeah, with representation, which was awesome. Um, and I just started looking for work, uh, acting as you're auditioning doesn't provide income. So I thought, you know, I will babysit and nanny as I'm, um, juggling auditions every day. And I got really involved. I mentioned earlier that community in college, I learned that was just vital to my survival. Um, So the first thing that I did in New York City was really make roots with some community and just get into a church and start um, surrounding myself by people that would um, keep me alive in my faith and just people to have, you know, in a, in a city that can feel so isolating because of what a hustle it is. Um, and I found church of the city in New York city and it was such a blessing, um, because I immediately found so many young people that became my community. And I, I didn't feel lonely for a second, which, um, praise God. But then right after that, through the church, y'all, this is hilarious now that I'm thinking about it. I would stand in the lobby after the services on Sunday and I had business cards and I would hand them out to moms that I would see with babies. And I just thought, you know, maybe they need some help. I'll give them my business card and say that I babysit. And so many of them took me up on it. Like, just don't be afraid to ask and just go for it, you know? And so I started building kind of a community of moms through the church that I babysat for. And what a blessing because I was working for people who were, you know, like had homes that were filled with the love of God and was getting to enjoy getting to know these families and these moms from my church um, when I wasn't auditioning and working towards my career in the arts. So Every week, kind of what that looked like was I would communicate with the moms and see when they needed me to babysit that week. And then I would look at my schedule and kind of see what auditions do I want to go to? What appointments do I have from my talent agent? And basically in New York, it you can go to open calls is what they call them. And that means you're getting in line at like 5 a.m. and standing outside and putting your name on a list and hoping to be seen. It's a really hard grind and it's what many, many artists do, especially those that don't have agents. And so I, I'm thankful that I got that experience because 
it's just a rite of passage in the performing <laughs> arts to really do that. And I met some of my, this, just the sweetest friends through standing in those lines for hours. Um, and then would go to some appointments, which an appointment, they would send me a breakdown for like the character I was going in for and the music I'd be singing. And I would go to those. So basically I was just kind of juggling like babysitting and then artists like going to the, doing the artist life and going to the auditions and was just doing that as much as I could because I was new to the city and very green and they didn't know me. People just don't know you when you haven't been there before and haven't made a name for yourself. So I was just trying to go and sing and dance in front of these people as much as I could. And so that's what a lot of the fall looks like. I came home for Christmas with my family and then went back in January and actually flew home for um, my my niece's birth and it was when I was flying back to New York City after that when I got an email from my agent that I had an audition for Karen in the Broadway production of Mean Girls and that doesn't happen every day like it's not every day you're like yeah I have a Broadway principal role audition tomorrow or so it that was a, a really big deal in my journey and a lot came from that one email Wow. Were you so nervous? Oh my gosh. Yes, for sure. It all happened so fast. You know, a lot of people ask me like, how did, how did you feel? Or like what went on inside in all that time? And honestly, Kelsey, like I was just so focused because, um, I mean, yes, the stakes are so high in a situation like that, but I just didn't have time to like freak out or think overthink it, which I, I said earlier, I'm an Enneagram one and overthinking is like what I'm best at. Your specialty. <laughs> it's my specialty. Um, and, but I, I love that about the performing arts that you just don't have time to overthink because things just move so, so, so fast. So I'm forced to trust myself in moments like that. Yeah. So I just started learning the music within three days. I was in, in an audition room with a casting director within two days. I was in a final callback with Tina Fey and the whole creative team of Mean Girls on Broadway. And then um, they told me the next day that my audition was being sent um, on tape to the producers in London. And then by that Friday, it's been a week now, uh, I got offered a contract to be on Broadway with Mean Girls. So it was, it was so wild. Just, it honestly feels like it didn't even happen. I know it did, but it just feels like such a long time ago that I love telling the story because- yeah. It's, it is a miracle. Well, I was telling you this before we got started, but it, it's also unique in the sense that it's something we grew up watching. Like I woke up yeah. every Saturday morning to the DVD menu of Mean Girls playing for the past nine hours out yeah. of bed at the crack of noon. I'm sure our listeners are going to giggle yeah. as I hear that because they, they know like that DVD menu song. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Man. It's crazy. It's um. It's a special Broadway show, I think, because people have so many connections to it uh, through the movie and having grown up watching the movie or are just so that people love Tina Fey, rightfully so. She's awesome. Um, but it's just it's a good one. It really is. You're listening to the Converge Podcast Network. And now a message from a network supporter. 
I'm Bob Sullivan, the new host of AARP's The Perfect Scam Podcast. And with Frank Abagnale and other top fraud experts, we're bringing you brand new episodes of America's most shocking scam stories. I got an email alerting me to 22 accounts that had been opened up in my name. Scam was masterfully designed. New episodes available now. Subscribe to The Perfect Scam Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We wanted to tell you today about an online parenting event that you or someone you know definitely won't want to miss. We're living in strange and difficult days, wouldn't you say? And I think it's safe to say that parents feel the pressure to lead in their homes especially well right now. But wouldn't it be nice to feel the freedom to check that perfectionism at the door and become the perfectly imperfect parent God actually called you to be? It's time to sign up today for the Perfectly Imperfect Christian Parenting Event that will be held on October 23rd and 24th. This completely digital event was designed to give parents the practical and spiritual help needed to grow as leaders in the home, and it's an easy and accessible digital format. With more than 40 available talks, you'll hear from amazing speakers like Aaron and Jamie Ivey, Mark Batterson, Jonathan Pitts, Nicole Zasowski, the Duck Dynasty Robertson family, and many, many more. Tickets are only $49, so we invite you or a parent that you love to register today for this digital Christian parenting event. Visit perfectlyimperfect.org to sign up today. Now, let's get back to today's show. So one thing I'd love to circle back to is you put in, you know, like eight months of auditioning before you got that role. I would love for you to kind of speak to that, to the listener. What does it feel like to keep going when there's no guarantees? Like you said, the odds are against you. How did you stay motivated to keep going when it got probably hard? You know, by industry standards, eight months is just such a short period of time. Totally. (laughs) It's so humbling to think about just how many artists that it takes just years for a a job like that to happen. I'm so thankful. I really am. I don't take it for granted at all that 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 happened. And um, I don't feel more deserving of it than someone else. Um, But it, it was hard, I will say, to stay motivated day in and day out to show up and to keep, you know, grinding, um, to keep going to those auditions, it's a weird thing we do because you're constantly being told no. And I don't think there are many jobs. I mean, when you go into to work every day, you're not like just getting rejection constantly. I mean, rejection is just a part of life. So it happens. Projects get shot down and you're just like, that's a thing in all jobs. And I acknowledge that. But I think in the arts, it's hard because it's such a hard thing too, because you're just pouring your heart into learning the next audition, like character for the next audition. And really, I mean, your voice is just um, a really intimate part of yourself as a singer. And you're kind of giving them a gift in that audition room. You're handing it to them and saying, you know, I've worked really hard on this. And here is this gift of my performance today. And then you have to leave and think, okay, that, that was a gift I gave them, but it doesn't define me. And that is not my identity. And I'm not guaranteed a yes. Actually, the odds are I'm probably going to get a no from that, but I did something good and I put work in 
and I put work out today and that is good and that is worth it. And it's just part of, you know, life as an artist. So um, I would say, how did I stay motivated? One thing that my teacher told me in college, and it really stuck with me, was when you walk into an audition room, setting one goal for yourself technically and one goal for yourself as an actor or storyteller, in that way, when you leave the audition room, you've actually accomplished something. You know, you're not... If your like standard of accomplishment is if I book this job or if I don't, well, so then you fail most of the time, and that just is it's hard to stay motivated if you constantly are telling yourself you're failing, you know. So that's really helped me to set personal goals to think, you know, I'm going to do this and I'm going to focus on this today, and then if I'm able to focus and and do those things, I'm like, wow, okay, I accomplished something today, you know. So, yeah, I think identity also is a big part of it that um, I can't go in there and think, you know, Tina Fey holds my identity today or the person on the other side of the table controls who I am, which that's just not true. And we know as followers of Christ, like I get to walk into that room and say, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My voice is beautiful. I am given a gift and I'm sharing a gift and no matter what they have to say about it, it's good because God says it's good and I'm called to do this. So it's not easy. It's, it's easier to say these things to you right now than it is for me to believe it in the day in and day out of it. But it, yeah, it definitely takes discipline. Well, I actually like had that on my list to ask you because I grew up or I, I have a friend who I've become good friends with over the last few years who she grew up in performing arts. And, you know, we both just have such different backgrounds. I didn't play sports or yeah. do anything, you know, performance oriented. Yeah. And then my parents would tell me I was perfect all the time. And I, and she's like, what? She's like, I got told no all the time. I was rejected in auditions all the time. Like there's something to her resilience that she learned really early on that I had to learn later. And I I feel like I'm a pretty resilient person, but it's not through dealing with rejection. I feel like I've really had to tackle that more as an adult than anything. Mm -hmm. So what do you say to the person who doesn't have much practice in getting, getting through those harder moments when there's some sort of gatekeeper in front of you and they tell you no right now, sorry, not right now. And how, especially as an Enneagram one, who's probably hypercritical internally, how do you deal with, you have clearly done a lot of identity work to get to a place to be able to remind yourself of those things. But I would imagine it's been a journey. Such a journey. Yeah. I don't know if I'm good at it, but um yeah, I guess I've, I have learned a few things. I would say that um, rejection is, I like this phrase, rejection is protection. That I think through all of the closed doors I had in the fall before Mean Girls happened, and it just puts it into perspective that if those doors would not have been closed, as as much as it hurt, as much as I was, you know, disappointed in that time, I wouldn't have been ready for the open door that was Mean Girls. And um, it makes me just praise God because he knew that those doors needed to stay closed in order for me to be ready for what was coming. So I would just say that, um, yeah, perspective is everything to just be able to say, you know, all things really do work together for good. 
And if that's true, and if God is, is really, you know, if he's true to every single one of his promises, then even when I'm rejected and feel disappointed, my feelings are not my reality. The reality is there is an open door for you. It just hasn't come yet. Ooh, that is good. That's a good reminder because yeah, those are all the lessons I've learned really in the last 10 years of, you know, not having a lot of opportunity to practice rejection because I just didn't put myself out there. And uh, then in my current career, there has been a lot of putting myself out there, but again, I didn't learn those lessons until my twenties. And so I feel like I've finally harnessed it, but it's been deeply painful. I've really bought into kind of misinformation about my identity sometimes during seasons of believing like that person is the gatekeeper to my success, or that means something about my, they said this about me, that means something about my identity or my capabilities or my dreams. Well, and then one of the hardest parts is the fact that you look around and you have people your age and we're all doing very, we're on very different levels of like achievement, so to say, so to speak. So that makes it even more challenging to not get your identity flipped upside down because you're like, well, she's doing this and and she's like gotten to this point and I'm just a failure, but that's all just so not true. It's so hard to just stay focused on your own lane and to say, you know, like God has me exactly where he wants me. Yeah. I mean, it, it's really comparison, which yeah. I definitely, um, fall prey to like, I'll be like, man, that girl and I started at the same time and, you know, she's already on her third book or whatever, you know, and it can just, we, we all deal with this at different points in our journey. How have you dealt with comparison? Cause I can imagine too, it's not just talent when you're in the performing arts world, you're like in dressing rooms with different people with different body types, like all the, you're, you're probably getting it from all angles or at some point have had to learn how to deal with that. Yeah, it's hard. I I think college was a time that God pruned a lot of that out of me just to see that, you know, I, one of my best friends in college had a lot of success um, in professional theater, in theater at our school. And God taught me to cheer her on, to not just like be okay with where I was, but to say, no, you're not there, but I want you to love where she is because that's, you know, that's humility. That's putting ourselves low and raising someone else up and seeing, gosh, that's amazing that they're doing what they're doing. And it's amazing that I'm not there. You know, it's amazing that I'm exactly where I am. So I think it's just through, like you said, those seasons are deeply painful And if you really are going to like let the Lord come in and teach you about it, it's going to mean pruning, you know, it's going to mean shrinking and letting him kind of put everything in perspective for you that the world doesn't revolve around you. The world is actually (laughs) revolves around a lot of people that he cares about. Um, So, yeah, I think it was just a time of I'm sure I'll be in that season again, but really letting him teach me to cheer other people on. Yeah, that's a good point of maybe it's an opportunity to lean into what does it look like to celebrate other people? Because Mm -hmm. that will always serve you well. And it's misery inducing to sit in comparison and to not be able to celebrate people like that only hurts you. I mean, it also can hurt the people around you. So you might as well learn to celebrate. And it's all, it's sometimes challenging to do that. But I think a worthwhile endeavor, man, mm-hmm. 
I could talk about this with you all day long. Now, before we kind of go, I want to hear, you know, what was it like to play Karen? And then coronavirus happened. I mean, that's a big disruptor to your dreams. What does that look like when you finally step into your dreams and then there's a disruption of it? Playing Karen, gosh, she is just a ball of joy. And she's, I call her the heart of the show. I think she has such a big heart. And it was so fun, Kelsey. It was so fun to get to go to a Broadway costume fitting and to try on all of her clothes. She, They described her to me as tropical Barbie. <laughs> she has all of these like, you know, tropical colored mini skirts and vests and six inch heels. Like I'm just running around the stage in six inch, inch oh, heels. Oh my gosh, I can't walk in heels. It's so fun. Um, but yeah, she was... She was a blast and yeah, it was such a joy. And then coronavirus happened. Yeah, it kind of got snatched out of my hands before I even got to sit in sit in it very long. I had three shows. So I opened on a Tuesday night and then had two shows on a Wednesday. And then Thursday was when Broadway shut down. So it was pretty devastating, honestly, in the beginning. I think it all happened so fast. And, you know, the rehearsal process and opening on Broadway was just such a whirlwind. And then for it all to kind of stop so quickly, I don't think it sunk in for a couple of weeks. You know, I came home and my little niece was a newborn baby and it was just so sweet to be with my family, but it it almost was like, what's happening? You know, um, at that time, we didn't know this would be such a long, long extension. And um, so it's, it's been crazy. You know, every day is a new day. I think we can all agree that, you know, each week brings new challenges and it's a constant kind of reorienting ourselves around what has become a new normal. But yeah, I, I hope that we can get back on the stage sooner rather than later. It's, it's just my daily prayer that things just begin to restore themselves and we find renewal in the theater and in the Broadway community in New York city. Well, you know, it's just a reminder that no one, no no circumstance can really take your destiny from you. Um, We're all going to be thrown some hell of curveballs, a hell of a curveball here and there, but you know, I'm, I'm really excited to see what's next for you. Have you, has there been kind of kind of a theme of the year of having to be open-handed with your, I mean, like that, that's, a big lesson on control when something happens in your career that you can't control. Yeah. I think it's a, a big thing. My word of the year is remember. And I think the Lord just continues to like draw me near to him and to say, you know, remember that I was faithful then and I performed miracles then. And that's just the kind of God I am. So I'm going to do it again. This is just a period of waiting. And so I think the more I'm able to surrender that, and like you said, surrender the control, the more I can really find peace and hope and joy in what life is right now. Because I don't want to look up in two years and think that was just a stressful time of like trying to gain control and worrying about the fact that life that was, wasn't, you know, that's just, it's not that's not productive one, but also we're called to so much more and we know that there is hope in the midst of this. So I think it's just clinging to that. 
what a great way to land the plane on this conversation because I feel like so many listeners feel like this year kind of threw a through a wrench and things and yeah. so uh, myself included and so um, I have so loved this conversation before we go I would love for you to share where people can find you you have a new podcast I want yeah. to hear tell, tell us all the things yes I do have a new podcast it's called living in the light with Laura Lee and I interview artists and creatives and we just talk about their personal stories about how Jesus has taken them from the dark and into his glorious and powerful light. And it's, it's been awesome. I mean, just so encouraging for me to be able to talk to these artists and hear how the Lord has worked in their life. So I would love for you to listen. I think it's a good listen for anybody. If you're an artist or if you're not, um, storytellers have a way of telling stories is what I say. And so it's been a lot of fun, but I will say it's been hard. It's been a hard few months of just learning new things. Kelsey, you know this, but when you build something from the ground up, it's, there's so many aspects of it that I didn't even anticipate, um, being a challenge. So it's been a fun challenge too. Uh, you can find the podcast. Yeah. Wherever you listen to your podcasts and then you can follow along with me on the Instagram at Laura Lee Turner. It was so good to have you, Laura Lee. Thanks it was for so good to be here, Kelsey. Thanks for having me. Hey, don't go yet. I would love it if you go over to iTunes right now and leave a review. I love hearing your feedback and it really makes a difference in getting the Radiant Podcast name out there. And while you're at it, why don't you subscribe and then share this episode on Facebook or Instagram or wherever your social media platform is of choice. Lastly, I'd love to keep up with each other. Come find me on Instagram at Kels Chapman and let's get to know each other. This show is part of the Converge Podcast Network. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically, dollar for dollar with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. Duncan is here to keep you running with a much-needed taste of normal. To work, home or work from home with the coffee you like just the way you like it. Whether that's a small hot black coffee, your daily 2 p.m. latte, or a bacon, egg, and cheese croissant and a medium iced coffee with oat milk, one sugar, two pumps of caramel, one pump hazelnut, a swirl of French vanilla, and a shot of espresso. I call it my p.m. pep rally. You should really try it. Whatever it is that gets you running, Dunkin's got you and always will. America runs on Dunkin'.